This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hi, I'm Jimmy Evans, and this is the Marriage Day Podcast. On this season of the podcast, we're highlighting one of my favorite teaching series. Marriage on the Rock was first printed in 1994 and has helped millions of couples since. In Marriage on the Rock, we cover what it takes to have a successful biblical marriage. In today's episode, I'm talking about the most important issue in marriage. Enjoy this teaching. This is something that we need to know if we don't know anything else about the subject of marriage. And this is John chapter four. Let me give you a little back, background on the story we're about to read from the Bible here. Uh, this is a Samaritan woman who's been married five times. And Jews hated Samaritans. They were half-breed Jews. They had a syncretic type of a faith, which was you know, part Judaism and part something else. And the Jews hated them for that. And so they wouldn't have anything to do with them. And you have to remember that women were chattel, not cattle, chattel. In society, they were owned. Men controlled society. So a woman was lower than a man, and a Samaritan was hated by the Jews. So Jesus, a Jewish man, is about to walk up and talk to a Samaritan woman, which was highly unusual, especially because she was an outcast in her community. She had been married five times, and now she was living with, she was cohabiting. She was shacking up with a guy. And so a lot of times we read this story in different contexts, but I want you to read it in the context of marriage. Jesus knows this woman is desperately hurting in the area of her relationships and her marriages, and he's walking up to give her the answer, the answer. And it's not difficult. It's not complicated. And that's what I love about God. I'm thankful that the answer is not difficult or complicated. We can find the answers that we're looking for in life from God, and they're simple in Him. And they're profound because they, they deal with all of our issues of life, but they're simple. They're, they're free. They're something that all of us can have, no matter where we've been. Aren't you thankful that our God loves people who are broken? And that He seeks them out? Jesus sought this woman out. So here's the story, verse five, John chapter four. He came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour, that's noon. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The woman of Samaria said to him, how is it that you, being a Jew, Ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as well as his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered and said to her, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. 
Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said to him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you have well said, I have no husband for you have had five husbands and the one you have now is not your husband. In that you spoke truly. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither worship on this mountain nor in Jerusalem, worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship for, uh, we know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. So this lady is an outcast. No one will have anything to do with her. It's very unusual for women to go to the well by themselves. They went in groups for safety reasons, but no one would go with her. And so she was, she was a broken person. She was a loser in that society. So she's at the well by herself and Jesus shows up and she said, what are you, what are you having anything to do with me? Why are you having anything to do with me? I'm, I'm a Samaritan woman. And Jesus said, give me a drink. And so he's talking about this well. And he says to her, if you knew the gift of God and who you're talking to, you would ask me for a drink and I would give you that drink and you would never be thirsty again. This, this Samaritan woman, the, the story shows the compassion of Jesus to people who fail. I've already talked about that. God is compassionate because he knows that there's a devil against us who wants us to, to be defeated. He's also compassionate because he, he knows we don't know what we're doing in the area of marriage. When Jesus hung on the cross, he forgave the people who put him there, but he, but he said, why? Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And most, most of us have never been taught about the issue of marriage, our, our failures. This woman is an example. God knew that she wasn't trying to fail. No one in marriage is trying to fail. Anyone who's been divorced, anyone who's struggling in marriage, no one is standing at the altar getting married saying, I sure hope I fail. Everyone getting married, they want to succeed. But most of us just don't have the skills. We don't have the knowledge of how to succeed in marriage. And so Jesus comes to this woman. He feels compassion for her because it's his nature to be compassionate because he knows she doesn't know. When Karen and I were failing in our marriage, I was 19 when I got married. No one had ever taught me about marriage. We were failing in our marriage and God was so compassionate with us. And I'm, just, I'm saying that to say, if you're struggling, if you're failing, if you're fearful, if you're broken in this area, or you've come out of a broken family, God feels compassion, not anger. He's not angry at you. He doesn't want to reject you any more than he wanted to reject her. He wants to give you the answer, though, for how to succeed. He doesn't want to leave you in that condition. Billy Graham says God loves us the way, just the way we are, but he loves us too much to leave us like that. And that's exactly right. God loves you just the way you are, but he wants to fix you. He wants to help you. He, he never packs up and leaves. He never packs up and leaves. Acceptance. People are undependable. And they may love you today, but they don't tomorrow. Or they may be happy right now and they give you a dirty look 10, 10 minutes from now that hurts your feelings. But God is absolutely stable and his love fills our heart like no one else. His perfect love casts out our fear. It's what the Bible says. What's the fear? It's the fear of rejection. It's our number one fear. Every person's number one need is love and number one fear is rejection. But his perfect love casts out fear because he's absolutely reliable as lover of our soul. And he's the only one who is. Identity is a number, another need that I have. Who am I? Yeah. 
I want to be unique. I want to be special. Well, he may be in my mother's womb. In Psalm 139, it says that he knit us all together in our mother's womb. Psalm 139, one time, here's what it says. His thoughts towards you when you're in your mother's womb were too vast to be counted. It's like the sand of the seashore. In other words, in our mother's womb, when God was creating us, he detailed for the rest of our life everything that we would do, all the people we would know, and his plan for our lives. And regardless of what we've done to mess it up, we can always get back on track through the blood of Jesus Christ. You're not a blob. You're not an accident. You're a precious, unique soul. And one of the, uh, one of the promises I love in the Bible is Revelation 2.17, where it says when we get to heaven one day, that God's going to give us, as we come into heaven one day, God's going to hand us a white stone with our real name on it that only we have. My name is Jimmy Dale Evans. I'm named after a female country western singer, Dale Evans. I was going to be Debbie Dale Evans. I told you that. My mother wanted a, a girl. I was the, I was the third boy. She wanted a girl. That was in the days you didn't know what you were going to get before you got it. My parents didn't name me for two weeks. I was born in Wellington, Texas. And after two weeks, the hospital called my mother and said, if you don't name this baby today, his name is Baby Boy Evans. And under duress, I got my name. And I'm so thankful that that is not my real name. God has a stone in heaven reserved for me. And one day when I walk into heaven's gates, he's going to walk up and hand me that stone. And I'm going to look at it and say, that's me. One of the horrible things about hell is they'll never know who they were. Because there have been times in your life when you did not know Jesus or you weren't walking with Jesus, there have been times that you transferred the expectations of your life to people and you set them up for failure because they couldn't be Jesus to you. Your parents, an ex-spouse, a close friend, a business partner, a pastor, a church, a government leader, a government program, whatever it might have been. You were not walking with Jesus. You were not trusting him. And so you took acceptance, identity, security, and purpose, and you transferred that to an individual, and they let you down. And it may have ended the relationship. Maybe it just ended in a frustration in the relationship, and, and you kind of accused that person. But you were wrong. I'm not saying that that other person wasn't wrong also. You were wrong. And, and my encouragement to you is to do an inventory. Is just to sit down in the presence of the Holy Spirit and say, Holy Spirit, would you help me? Because I know I have some broken relationships in my life. Are any of those broken relationships because I tried to make that person Jesus to me? And gently and graciously, God will help you to, to deal with that. And the purpose isn't condemnation to drag you into your past. The purpose is just simply to say, maybe they weren't as bad as I thought they were. And maybe I was a part of the problem. I've done it. I did it to Karen. I was very disappointed in Karen when we got married because I was trying to make her into Jesus for me. She's a great Karen. She's a lousy Jesus. I'm a good Jimmy. I'm a lousy Jesus. There's only one good Jesus, and his name is Jesus. Here's what happens when you trust something or someone other than God 
to meet your deepest needs. The first is your inner security is dependent upon something or someone you cannot predict or control and whose resources to meet your needs are limited. Number two, your ability to give is dependent upon your ability to get from others. You feel like a victim because if people don't give to me, I can't give back to them. And if, my, if I'm in relationship to Jesus, I can give to anybody at any time because God is a, is a, uh, a, a full source at all times in our lives. Number three, your life is filled with an atmosphere of disappointment and frustration. People have let you down and you show it wherever you go. Number four, your unrealistic expectation of others creates a negative atmosphere of tension in your relationship, if not a compelling force field of pressure which drives people away. People who are overly dependent upon us are unattractive to us. When men and women are asked, what do you find attractive in the opposite sex, both of us say confidence. I want a confident person to relate to. Why? Because confident people are givers and people who are not are takers. And there are people who are too needy. And let, let, me, let, me, let me tell you an, a healthy statement and an unhealthy statement. Here's a healthy statement. I love you and life is wonderful with you, but it's possible without you. I love you and life is wonderful with you and I don't wanna lose our relationship, but if, if something happens, I can go on because of God. Here's an unhealthy statement. I can't live without you. I can't go on without you. Please. And you see people who, they don't have a relationship with Jesus. They don't have that source in their life. And so because they don't have Jesus, they depend on people. And when they lose that relationship, I can't go on. I can't live without you. Yes, I can. Because of Jesus, I can. Because of Jesus. I don't want to lose important relationships, but people die. And people can't be there at all times. The best person can't. But if I have Jesus, I can live a happy, fulfilled life regardless of what people do. Here's what the Bible says about trusting someone other than God to meet your deepest needs. Proverbs 28, 26 says, he who trusts in his own heart is a fool. We can't meet our own needs, can't, can't be done. Jeremiah 17, five, cursed is the man who trusts in mankind and makes flesh his strength. And this doesn't say we shouldn't trust people. It's saying when you trust in people more than you trust in God, you're gonna live a painful life. Proverbs eleven twenty eight. he who trusts in his riches will fall. You know, when you try to put money in God's place and make that your security, it just simply doesn't work. When we trust Jesus in a personal daily relationship, there's two important things that happen. The first is he heals our hurts. When we come to Jesus and we, we trust in him, all of us have hurts from our past. Every person does. The Samaritan woman was devastated with the pain of her past. Making everyone happy on vacation isn't easy, but you know what is? Going to Aruba. All you have to do is walk out your door to find pristine pools, relaxing white sand beaches, and an island teeming with outdoor activities that'll put a smile on any face. You won't just feel great, you'll all feel great, filled with a calmer, more peaceful vibe that radiates Aruba's warmth. And the best part is, it never fades. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your family trip at aruba.com. Dreaming of a better sleep? 
tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. When I married Karen, she had the lowest self esteem of any person I've ever met, without a doubt. And Karen was saved before me, and I got saved the week before we got married. And this is a true statement. I have never known a day in our marriage in over 39 years that Karen Evans didn't wake up and read her Bible. Never. Psalm 107.20 says that God sent his word to heal us and to deliver us from all of our destructions. Karen was devastated, devastated emotionally. And I couldn't help her. I mean, I, I said everything I knew how to say. I tried to help her. I just couldn't help her. But God healed my wife. God healed me. Hebrews 4 says the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and can divide asunder between the thought and intention of the heart, the bone and the marrow. In other words, where no human being can go, God's word can go. And it's a two-edged sword because one edge slays the enemies of our hearts and the other edge is a scalpel that heals those words and thoughts and memories that torment us. Let me, let me say this to you. It doesn't matter if you love Jesus. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you believe in Jesus. It may eternally, but for this sake, it doesn't matter. Do you trust Jesus? I did a funeral for a man who committed suicide. And I talked to this man before he committed suicide and I would talk to him about the Lord. And every time I talked to him about the Lord, he would cry. And every time I told him what he needed to do, he wouldn't do it. He lived in, in constant fear. And I, the family asked me to do his funeral. And I stood at his funeral. And here's what I said about that man. He loved the Lord. He just didn't trust him. And every one of his family knew it was a true statement. He loved the Lord. He'd cry about Jesus. He believed in Jesus. But he doesn't trust him. Here's my question to you. I want you to listen to what I'm saying. When you have a problem, where do you go first? A friend? The web? A credit card? A store? Internally, worry, fear? Where do you go first? Doesn't matter if you love Jesus. It doesn't matter if you believe in Jesus. Do you trust him? Do you trust him with your finances? Do you trust him with your children? Do you trust him with your relationships? Do you trust him with your life? Do you trust him for miracles? Do you trust him to come through and change things? When Karen and I wake up every morning, and we did this wrong, and we almost divorced. So we're not better than anybody, we're not special. But what we learned is the most important issue in our marriage is a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It's the most important thing. So when I wake up in the morning and when Karen wakes up in the morning, we both have different places in the house where we go and we have our quiet time, which means we read our Bible. I journal, I read my Bible and I pray. And it's not a religious experience. I don't pray just to pray. I don't read my Bible just to read my Bible. I need God. I need him to encourage me. I need him to heal me. I've got fears. I've got problems. 
I've got needs. I've got anxieties every single day, every day. It doesn't matter how long I've known Jesus. Every day I've got issues that only God can solve. I don't go to a person first thing in the morning. I don't go to the web first thing in the morning. I don't buy something early in the morning to make me feel better. I go to Jesus and it changes every relationship in my life. Every relationship in my life. Once God heals us, but the second thing he does is he fills us. He fills us. Jesus said, lady, if you would ask me for a drink, I'd give you water and you'd never thirst again. I wonder what kind of a wife she would be full of the Holy Spirit rather than needy. What kind of a husband would we be if we were full of the Holy Spirit rather than being needy? Galatians 5 says the fruit of the Spirit, these are all relational qualities, nine relational qualities that the Holy Spirit gives for free to anybody who will ask. Love, that means real love, God's love. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The nine virtues of the Holy Spirit, that when we wake up in the morning and we say, God, I need you. I'm gonna be relating to people all day long and there's several I wanna kill. I wanna strangle them today. Could I have permission? It happened in the Bible, could I do it? And God says, no. So I'm gonna fill you with my Holy Spirit and you won't wanna kill them, you'll love them. Okay. When I wake up and I have been with God I'm a different husband than if I haven't. Sometimes Karen will say to me when I'm not having one of my better days, did you pray this morning? And most of the time I didn't, but I won't admit it because I don't want her to know she's right. Because <laughs> she's right too much. We need Jesus. I know you believe in him and I know you love him. I know you do. You wouldn't be here if you didn't. But do you trust him? Is he the first place that you go? Do you have a daily dependent relationship upon Jesus Christ? He didn't come to start a new religion. The world had too many religions when he came. They didn't need another. He came to bridge the barrier so we could have a living relationship with God, regardless of where we've been or what we've done through the blood of Jesus Christ. Here's how to experience a personal relationship with Jesus, and I'll close. Number one, remember that Jesus is a gift of grace from God. He said, lady, if you knew the gift of God, when we need him the most, we deserve him the least. And when we've done something wrong, the devil's always there to condemn us and tell us that we can't have God. Some of you have done terrible things. I've done terrible things. I've done horrible things in my life that I'm very ashamed of that I've done. And on my very best day, not one time I've ever gone to God have I deserved to go to God. Never. My righteousness is like filthy rags. Back then or now. And Jesus came to a broken down lady who had been devastated through her own personal failures, through her own mistakes. And he said to her, if you knew the gift of God. He's a gift. Anybody can have him. Anytime. Not just when you did something good or not just right after church. When I was a kid and I didn't know Jesus, I used to go to church. And when I left church, I thought, I'm going to have two or three good hours here. I just went to church. I hope Jesus comes now. I hope he doesn't come on a Thursday. You know, because I'm dead on Thursdays. But after church on Sunday, I'm pretty good. But Jesus is a Thursday, Friday kind of God. Did you know that? If you knew the gift of God, you would ask. The second thing, the second way to have a relationship with Jesus is to ask for what you need. We need God. And he, 
He's okay with that. I, our, our grandkids are at our house right now. Uh, Julie, our daughter, and Corey, and our granddaughters are at our house right now. And I'm Pappy. And they'll come up, my little granddaughters will say, Pappy, can you, will you? That's two main things. They say, Pappy, can you? Pappy, will you? Do you know how much I love being a Pappy? I love being Pappy. And I love for my grandchildren to depend on me because it gives me the opportunity to be Pappy. Did you know God loves being your daddy? But he never gets to be if you don't need him. When we don't pray, basically what we're saying is, is I, don't, you know, I don't need you right now. When we do. But when we pray, Jesus said, if you knew the gift of God, you would ask and he would give it to you. Why does God give it to you? He loves being a daddy. He loves providing. He loves protecting. He loves, he loves doing all the things that a, that a good daddy does. And when we pray, I, I mean, I, I really believe this after knowing God for 39 years. When we pray, I just think that the Lord, his heart is, thank you for letting me be your daddy today. It, it brings me so much joy just to be your daddy. And I know, you're, I know you need me, and I know you're hurting, and I know you're, you're incapable of serving. That's great. It's like my little grandkids. I, I love the things that make them need me because I love being their pappy, and I love being my kid's dad. Ask what you need. Come boldly before the throne of grace. And the third thing is have faith in God's love and faithfulness. He said, I've given it to you. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that you're talking to, you would have asked and he'd have given you living water and you never thirst again. God loves you and he died on the cross for you and he paid for your sins. And by his grace, not only can you know him as your personal Lord and Savior, but you can have a daily dependent relationship with him and it is the secret of success in every area of life, especially in the area of marriage. And all of us have made mistakes. You may have gone through a marriage or two or eight because you didn't know this. You may be frustrated in your marriage right now because you didn't know this. You may be fearful of marriage. You may be single or divorced and you're fearful of marriage because you didn't know this. But now you know this. And what I'm saying is people are imperfect. They cannot be Jesus to us, though they have an important place in our lives. But through a relationship with Jesus, we can succeed because it is the most important issue in marriage. Hey, this is Brent Evans with Exo Marriage, and I want to thank you for listening to the Marriage Today podcast. We believe your marriage has a 100% chance of success if you do it God's way. If you enjoyed today's teaching and want to keep learning, hey, subscribe to the Marriage Today podcast and take some time to leave us a review. Your reviews help us spread the word and can encourage someone else in need. For more great marriage content, check out exomarriage.com where you can see all of our marriage building resources, articles, and live events.